0: Welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. This is the beginning of a great story. Now, the background here is Caesar Augustus was, was, was ruling the known world at the time. He ruled all the way from India to England. I mean, it was a huge swath of land that he was in control over. Augustus was born as Caius Octavius. He was a great nephew of Julius Caesar. He had, you know, Julius Caesar had adopted him as a son upon the death, and upon his death he became Caius Julius Caesar Octavianus. And in 42 B.C., Julius Caesar was deified and Octavian became known as the son of the divine Julius. By 31 B.C., Octavian took control of the whole Roman Empire. And in 27 B.C., he was given the title Augustus, savior of the world sent down from the gods. Augustus died in A.D. 14, and the Senate of Rome concluded that he was among the gods of the state. And since Julius was a god, Octavian was considered the son of God. This coin was, was struck in 17 B.C. And on one side, it, you know, it has it inscribed, Divine Julius with a comet representing Caesar, which when Caesar died, a comet came through the sky, and, and they, they thought it, you know, that was his soul going to heaven. That's what the, you know, the stories were. And we still commemorate both of these guys in the month of July for Julius and August for Augustus. So they're still, in a sense, a part of our lives. Now, we don't believe they were God by any sense, but back then They did. And that's why I share this with you, because I want you to get the the feeling of how important it was, how important uh, Augustus was at the time, not for just being in charge, but he was thought of as a God. He was worshipped as a God. So when Luke is saying things like, today in the uh, town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Luke is writing treasonous words to the people in the first century. To the people throughout the Roman Empire. So you can understand why they would start arresting Christians later on. You could understand why they were saying that you know the leader Jesus was a savior and the son of God. Well, that went against what they believed. So in Luke 2, Augustus was demanding a census. And I even have to tell you that recently, even scholars have had pulled this part up and they would say, Well, you know, at the time of the census, Quinarius was not even governor. So for the longest time, scholars, biblical scholars, couldn't answer the question, how did the time frames, you know, how did it fit? But just recently in the a, in a city of Alexandria, um, Egypt, a, a dig turned up two truths. The first truth is Quinarius was actually governor two different times. It was written in records that were found in Alexandria. Also, that they took multiple census during this time because they were trying to get more money. Every census... They paid money to the government. So the more you do a census, the more money you get. So we see multiple times that this this was happening. So once again, history actually proves to be on on the biblical side. Imagine that. So Mary and Joseph are required to travel to the city of David in Bethlehem from Nazareth because Joseph was from the house of David. And Caesar Augustus, who was the son of God, the savior of the world, the father of us all according to, to their belief system at the time, didn't care that this poor little teenage Mary was in our final days of pregnancy. There was no grace given on this long journey that they took by foot and by donkey. A long, uncomfortable, risky journey. They just couldn't file an extension like we do with the IRS if we don't want to pay right then. But they all had to get to Bethlehem, all because the Bible would say, or the Bible says, that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. And we see this in Micah, Micah chapter 5, it says, "...but you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of uh, Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times." Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand as a shepherd uh, and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely. From then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth and he will be their peace. Every biblical scholar at the time would know that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. You know, this also says something about, about our God. Because Jesus came to reveal the nature of God. How He thinks, how He feels, how God talks, how God acts. So we read these stories and we have to ask the question, what does this reveal to us about the nature of God? Well, first of all, the Bible sh- you know, shows us that God tells us what is going to happen and then he does it. He does it so we know that God is working. Jesus being being born in Bethlehem shouldn't shock anyone. And for us in this day and age, we should not be surprised at the direction the world is going. Why? God has already told us what is going to happen in this world. God tells us ahead of time, and then he does it. Another thing this shows us is that God will use everything to do his will. will. He will use politics. He will use circumstances all beyond our control. You know, this trip was not planned whatsoever. And yet God set it up. This hard, painful, confusing trip during the worst part of the year to travel in that area. I mean, come on, Lord. Can't you just miraculously just get us there? Why do we need to go right now, God? Why right now? See, this is another important thing about God. He doesn't always explain himself. Oh, I wish he would explain himself. Don't you? How often does he inconvenience, us, and mess up our lives in our view of things in order to work his plan? You know, he did this with Abraham. He did this with Joseph. You know, he was sold into slavery and then thrown in the jail for thirteen years just so he would be at the right place at the right time to save the Jews. You know, we serve a God that took Moses out into the wilderness. Remember, he was a fugitive. And that fugitive, the wilderness was a safe place for him. But God takes him from there and puts him right back into the same city that he was a fugitive from. And he uses him to confront Pharaoh. This is the thing about God. He often allows us to experience inconveniences, to experience sacrifice and pain in order to work His plan. And I don't like that about God. I don't. I I, I like the the good things. I, I don't want to be confused. I don't like to be confused. Do you? Of course not. You would think that if we give our lives over to God, He would at least take the confusion away from us. But sometimes He doesn't. Let me ask you a personal question. How is your year? How's your year ending? Has everything been resolved from this past year? I mean, we're coming up on the new year. Everything's supposed to start over. Has everything been resolved in your life? Or is there some unanswered questions left? Was there any inconvenience this year? Was there any pain this year? Would you entertain the thought that maybe... Just maybe you're in the center of God's will, even though you're going through painful times. You know, I don't like that idea either. I like the idea of, of God's will being a happy, skippy day, a bluebird on my, my shoulder kind of day. You know, I've gotten you know the big thing of cotton candy, and I'm all happy as a kid. You know, I've supersized everything. That's when I think I'm in God's will, That's when we all think we're in God's will, right? When everything's going great. Not on these days when things are difficult. But see, the reality is, it's more like the time that Joseph and Mary are going through. Mary is probably going into labor during this trip. Who knows how long she's been in pain, riding this poor donkey that's sitting there going, man, this woman's kind of big right now. She's got some extra weight on her. Joe, I don't know, but I think we need to pull over. I mean, this was probably, I mean, well, not probably, this was her first baby, and she was probably all freaked out about it. She didn't have mom around. She didn't have, you know, all these people around to help her. It was her first time. While they were were there, the time came for, for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And this, by the, way, by the way, at the bottom of this is a, is a picture of what a, what a manger would look like back then. It's basically a horse trough in a sense. It, it's a small little, you know, it, it was made out of stone. You know, we all think manger, you know, every picture you ever see, it's always wood, right? No, they, they wouldn't waste wood on a horse. Wood was precious there. They didn't have whatever, but they had stone. So they would just carve it out, and that's what it looked like. You no know, I bet after she had this baby... They're sitting there looking at this baby boy and they're thinking, this is a very, very different Messiah than what the world was looking for. Very different. What is interesting is that Jesus came to reveal the Father. What is he revealing with this manger scene? What is he revealing about, you know, God being born kind of in a barn on the side of a house? Not even in a a hotel room, as we would say. How about God is rich, but He chooses to become poor. God is powerful, but He chooses to be in vulnerability. God is the King of kings, but He makes a very humble entrance. There is nothing more needy than a new baby. Isn't that right? Michael knows that. This daughter over there knows that too. They came in carrying two little ones. I was like, ah, love it. There's nothing more humble than being born in a barn. What does this tell you about our God? He's not able to make arrangements? No. This is exactly what he planned. Why? Because he needed to get really small to relate to us. He limited him himself so he could approach us. He goes on and says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. These were the exact same fields uh, that Ruth and Boaz were in. The exact same fields that David washed over his sheep. You know, shepherds were considered the low men on the totem pole. You know, teenagers, I mean, you know how good workers they are, right? And most of the adults roll their eyes, and all the teenagers here are going, Hey! Teenagers were the ones that were shepherds. It was the jobs that no one wanted. The training fields, in a sense. So the shepherds were coming to see Jesus, and some of them, you know, as they, they would have been teenagers, and, you know, what does this tell you about God? He wants to involve every aspect of life in His plan. Verse 9, it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. You bet they were. The power of God displayed on a hillside. This is another thing about God. Often his best work frightens us. It does. We say, Oh Lord, work in my life. But when he does it, we're scared half to death because we're losing control. And all of a sudden, we don't like that feeling of losing control. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. The word great joy here is megakaros. Mega joy. Big joy. To all the people. Not just the rich. Not just the, the smart people. Not just the people who have studied the scriptures. Not just the Jews. But to all people. Today in the town of, uh, town of David, a savior in Augustus. Has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. He is. He is. Came, he came to you. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes lying in a manger. Look for a baby in a feeding trough. You're not going to find two of them. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, "Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men." on whom his favor rests. They're saying doxazo in the Greek here. We adore you. We magnify you so others can see you. We make you bigger. We bring you into focus so the shepherds can see your glory and peace and goodwill to men. What they're celebrating is a relationship between God and man that in the Garden of Eden, Eden was was breached, and now the second Adam is creating a bridge so that we can have access. We can go across the chasm of sin that has separated us from God, and the devil can't do anything about it. So the angels are celebrating the fact that, you know, there's going to be peace and goodwill toward men through this little child. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven the shepherds said to one another let's go to bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the lord has told us about so they hurried off and found mary and joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger when they had seen him they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them you know this reveals something else to you know about god to us God allowed the shepherds to participate in the, Jew, in the Jesus story. You know, if you're willing, God will allow you to participate in His plan. This is absolutely amazing because this story is not over and it's not complete. You can be a part of the story if you're willing. God loves to involve everyday people in His best work. And it takes, you know, steps of faith. It takes walking in faith. Believing that Jesus has come for you. Verse nineteen. It says, But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which they which were just as they had been told. So if Jesus came to reveal the Father, what do we know about the Father? What do we know about the Father and the way that Jesus came? Not only that, but what are we willing to do about it? Because Gallup, you know, you know all the people that do all this testing, the Gallup, the poll takers and stuff, says that 85% of, of the people in America believe this story. The Christmas, you know, that Christmas is about the Son of God coming in the birth of Christ. And what is interesting is that I don't think 85% of, the, uh, of Americans are doing anything with that knowledge. You know, according to, to Gallup, it says they believe it. But according to the Bible, they do not. Because the Bible says believing and, and receiving it is not just knowing it in your head, but living it out in your heart, living it out in your hands, living it out in your actions and in your words and your attitudes. To believe is to receive. Jesus said to Nicodemus, a very religious man, by the way, he said, For God so loved the world he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to destroy the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That was God's intention. That is why Jesus came. One of the reasons we give gifts at Christmas is to remind us that the wise men brought gifts. But it's also to remember that Jesus was a gift to us. That we have to take that gift and we have to open that gift. That God has wrapped him up and given salvation to us. And you don't have to make any payments on this gift. You don't have to reciprocate with any type of gift. It's a free gift out of God's love. Now, wouldn't it be sad that if the greatest gift you could ever imagine was given to you and you just left it under the tree at Christmas morning? Oh, that's that's a wonderful gift. I love the wrapping on that gift. I think we'll just leave it over there. What child would ever do that? What adult would ever do that? You so many have. God has given us the greatest gift and we leave it wrapped up over there. We don't unwrap it. We don't play with it in a sense. We don't, we don't implement it into our lives. We say, yep, I received it. You know, it doesn't say battery is not included. Everything is included in God's gift. So from now on, we can rebuff the enemy. When he comes to us, and says, what does that gift really mean to you? We can tell him exactly what it is. You know, we're getting ready to, to light some candles. What does that light mean to you? Is it the light of Jesus in your life or not? You're not only to light the candle, but when we hold it up, it, it represents so that everyone can receive, I mean, everyone can see that we've received this gift of salvation. Don't keep this gift quiet. Don't allow the world to tell you to hide your belief in Jesus Christ because, oh, we're not supposed to talk about it. Allow it to shine. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that during this season that we not allow it to stop tomorrow after we celebrate together after we come together with family and friends and and open the gifts and have a meal and all those wonderful things that we do on Christmas Day that we not allow it to stop right then that the light that you've given us that Jesus that comes into our lives will be lived out with every day of the year that next year at this time we can say I let my light shine this past year thank you Jesus thank you your name